You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Kelsey crushes SNL. Orlando and Frank could be done in Kansas City, and the Chiefs have high hopes for one player in 2023. With Nick Schwer, I'm Kayla Canaram, and it's always game day in Kansas City. For all things KC, for everything Chiefs, it's always it's always game day in Kansas City. Now here's your host, Kayla Canaram and Cody Tapp. We're gonna get to some Chiefs stuff here, I promise. But honestly, Nick, I feel a little out of the loop. I've not been able to get my news like normal because my Twitter account got hacked. Excuse me? I woke up Sunday morning to four emails from Twitter. First thing, there was a suspicious login from a Chicago IP address. And then I get another one with a verification code. Then I get another one saying my password has been changed. And then I get another one saying my email has been changed all before I woke up. So I couldn't do anything about it. And then I start emailing Twitter and I still haven't gotten a response. However, many days later, I don't know what's going on in the world because Twitter is my news source. I've got three big, I've got three big uh, pieces of news for you. If you want, let's just do this. We never do it like this. So I'm going to, here's what we're going to do organically. I'm going to catch you up on everything you've missed. And then over the next, however long we want to talk about this, we can break down and we can give our opinions on these three big news stories. So let me know if you've heard any of these things yet. The Chiefs will not be using the franchise tag on Orlando Brown Jr., which puts his future in Kansas City up in the air. There's one big piece of news. Frank Clark has been released by the Chiefs. He will not be playing in Kansas City next year. We know that much. I'm so upset. And Juju Smith-Schuster is a guy the Chiefs are still trying to re-sign before he hits free agency, but James Palmer of NFL Network says the Chiefs believe that Kadarius Toney will be the number one in Kansas City next year. So how about that? You've missed a lot while you've been gone. I've caught snippets on Instagram, and I, then I go to Twitter, and it's not there. And I'm like, I feel so lost and left out. This, <laughs> these are huge things that we have to dive into. All right, first things first. What do we want to start with? Let's go with um, the Chiefs deciding not to franchise tag Orlando Brown. Are you surprised by this move, Nick? Yeah, I'll be honest, I am. I know th- I knew this was a possibility, but I think it's one of those things where we had talked about Orlando Brown Jr.'s future so much, so many different times. And when you do it enough times, you start to talk yourself into the outcome that you think it's going to be, which I always thought was going to be franchise tagging him and then maybe trying to go back to the well like you did a season ago and trying to get a long-term deal done. But my preference was that you would franchise tag him and then attempt to trade him this offseason, right? Try to get something in return. When you see the initial news that they're not even going to franchise tag him, the first reaction is, wait a minute. You're going to let this guy walk in free agency and maybe get nothing in return for him? That that feels like a losing proposition. 
But then you kind of realize, okay, wait a minute. Who's running the show here in Kansas City? Brett Veach. What is the saying about Brett Veach, right? And Brett Veach, we, we trust. trust. So we have to assume there's there's layers to this onion, right? There's something that we need to unpack that maybe we don't quite know. So then you kind of try to reverse engineer it. Okay, you're not using the franchise tag on Orlando Brown Jr. What does that mean? What were you trying to avoid? What, what would have placing the franchise tag on him done to your situation that you don't want to experience? Well, one thing we know is if you put the franchise tag on him, $20 million is going to be his salary for next season. The Chiefs have room, but maybe not if you want to re-sign Juju to an extension, right? Maybe if you have other guys that you're targeting in free agency or by means of trades, you want more flexibility for next year. Okay, that's one possibility, but that doesn't quite answer the entire question. I think the bigger piece of this puzzle, this Orlando Brown puzzle, is that if you are franchise tagging him, you are once again negotiating against yourself. If you franchise tag Orlando Brown Jr., he doesn't get to go and test his value against the market. We're kind of seeing that right now with Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, who uh, placed the franchise tag on on Jackson. But because it's this, now he has the opportunity to go and negotiate with other teams, the Ravens are basically saying, we are going to figure out how the rest of the league feels about you. Mm-hmm. If Lamar Jackson's out there asking for a Deshaun Watson contract, right? I want everything fully guaranteed. And the Ravens are saying, no, we're not giving it to you because we don't think anybody else will give it to you. It wouldn't shock me if the Chiefs are doing a similar tactic with Orlando Brown Jr. If Orlando Brown Jr. is saying, hey, I'm 27 years old. I've never missed significant time. I switched from right tackle to left tackle. We just won a Super Bowl. I want a big old bag of cash. I want $24 million a year. I want $25 million a year. I want a lot of that guaranteed more than you're willing to give me. It wouldn't shock me if the Chiefs are saying, okay, well, if we franchise tag you and we don't get a deal done, fast forward 12 months, we're in the exact same situation we are now. And what Brett Veach and this front office have been so good at, Kayla, is thinking two or three steps ahead. Yeah. They're never just looking at their current situation. I think we as fans, because we don't have the insight and the data or the knowledge to to go through and do that, at least most of us don't. I certainly don't. I'm not a salary cap expert. To go through and look you know, two, three years down the line, okay, this guy's going to be a free agent. We're going to have to pay him, right? When you're looking at Creed Humphrey or Nick Bolton or Trey Smith, some of these younger guys that are going to need extensions, then you kind of start to spin the gears in your head and say, well, if we're paying this guy now, we're not going to have money to do that. We we need to be in a better situation next year so we're not sitting here negotiating with this guy for the third year row. So figure out. Let's let him go out, talk to other teams, and figure out exactly what he's worth. If it's still in the ballpark of what we're comfortable doing, then maybe he'll be in Kansas City again next year. But we're not going to overpay for a guy that we don't think is worth this massive contract. So there's so many moving parts. And at first glance, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But once you kind of start unpacking it a little bit, it is a little easier to figure out exactly what the Chiefs line of thinking is here with this guy. Okay, so that I understand. We did not place the franchise tag on him because of cap space, correct? You mean like they just didn't have enough money to place the franchise tag on him? No. 
they could have made it work. And okay. you think, okay, so you cleared up about $21 million just right. by releasing Frank Clark. And I know we're going to get to that in a second. Yes. So you cleared up a ton of money just by releasing one guy. Patrick Mahomes deal is so unique in that you've got all of these mechanisms that you can move around to push money from one year to the next, right? He did that on purpose. You could always do that. You can always exercise the right to move some money around. You can get some more money there. Chris Jones has one year left on his deal. And we see this all the time. It happened with Tyree Kill in Miami last year. The second Tyree Kill signed his new contract, right? That makes him the highest paid player in the NFL next season. He's going to make $31 million next season, Kayla. He made $6 million last year, right? You always backload That's these contracts. Crazy. Exactly. But it gives teams more flexibility in the short term. So if we all imagine that Chris Jones is going to get an empty check, I certainly do, like a blank check. Sign your name on it, Clark Hunt. And then, hey, Chris, <laughs> final zeros up there on the, on the total line. Well, what you're going to do is you're going to clear up more cap space for next year. Chris Jones, I think, is owed $28 million next year. You're going to move that money around. So you can, you can find ways to create more money next season. But do you want to wait another year and then have these same conversations with Orlando Brown, knowing that all of a sudden, this window, you like to space your deals out, right? You don't want to give all of your big contracts out in one year. Well, the closer, the more you kick that Orlando Brown Jr. can down the road, the closer you're putting that deal with all these other deals that you might be interested in re-signing. I think the, you know, I think the best part about this, Kayla, is the Chiefs don't have any bad contracts out there right now. That's good. That feels like a plus. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the biggest the, the the big contracts that you have are Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones, and Joe Tooney. And all four of those guys are playing at or near the very best players at their position. Orlando Brown Jr. is asking for a comparable deal. He's not playing like one of the best players at his position. So I understand why the Chiefs might have some hesitancy to all of a sudden sort of change their thought process on who they hand these big deals out to. Do you think they'll get a deal done with him? Or do you think he's playing somewhere else next year? I think I would put it at uh, like an 85-15 split that he's playing somewhere else next year. Whoa. I think if there was a deal to be done, they would have got it done. They would have okay. got it done by now. The fact that they're saying, we want you to go test your market, and like because that's where the 15% comes in. The 15% is the overlap. Like if we're doing a Venn diagram, Here's what the Chiefs think he's worth. Here's what he think he's worth. There's a 15% split right there in the middle where they're like, okay, we can probably find some common ground here. I get the sense Orlando Brown Jr. wants a record-setting deal. Like maybe not Trent Williams' money when he went out there and like nobody's going to touch that. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't shock me if he's saying, you know what, I want $24 million annually and I want... $65 million guarantee. I want $80 million guarantee. I don't know where those numbers are at, but I think if they were closer, then we wouldn't have seen this happen. If they were closer on where they thought the right deal was, they would have just put the franchise tag on him because they would be confident 
they're going to iron out a deal in the next month. The fact that that's not happening and now they're giving themselves until next week, March 13th, to finalize something tells me that he's probably going to be a free agent. Well, speaking of not getting deals done, the Chiefs, by all accounts, are planning to release Frank Clark, and I am sad. You know what? You can you can take the man, <laughs> but you can't take the memories away. You can't take away those memories that Clark the Shark gave us. Two Lombardi trophies, two Super Bowl rings, third all-time in playoff sacks. He gave a lot of kids, but you know, this was sort of the conclusion, I think, a lot of us ultimately knew was going to come. Frank restructured his deal to stay in Kansas City last year. I think there, I think some of us were kind of hopeful that maybe he would do it again, but I yeah. understand why he wouldn't. You know, he took a bit of a financial sacrifice to come back to Kansas City last year, and it sounds like, you know, the conversations that he had with Andy Reid maybe motivated him to want to be back in Kansas City again, but I can't fault a guy for for not wanting to go out and get as much money as he can, knowing that there's not going to be many more of these opportunities in your career. So when we, when it happens like this, it's essentially a mutual decision. Like he could have stayed for less money, but he wanted more. So he's out. Yeah. I think the second, the season ended Eric Burkhart, Frank Clark's agent and Brett Veach and Andy, whoever was in those in on those decisions probably sat down and said, okay, like this is what, we want because both sides knew this conversation was coming, right? You knew you would either have to restructure or release because of how much money the Chiefs could save. Mm-hmm. It's a seven million dollar cap hit, but it's a twenty one million dollar cap relief. So Frank Clark's side knew this was coming. So I'm sure they tried to sit down and say, "Here's what we think he's worth." The Chiefs said, "Absolutely not. That's not worth more than the twenty one million dollars in cap relief that we're getting." And so it seems like this this happened pretty quickly, and because releasing Frank Clark was the quickest way and the easiest way for the chiefs to clear up some cap space. You knew that was going to be one of the top priorities in the offseason is figuring out what we're going to do with Frank Clark. And the fact that they ended up releasing him, not a huge shock. I, I'm with you. Like I wanted to see him back another year, not just because of his play, but because it seems like he took He's part of the heartbeat of this team. You need, you need some dogs. <laughs> you have some guys who just have a little bit of extra spit and vinegar in them. And <laughs> like he was, he was sort of this team's personality on defense or a big part of the personality. Even more than that, he took on a leadership role mm-hmm. and sort of a mentor role with George Karloftis this past year. That's going all the way back to training camp, staying late after practice, working one-on-one with this guy, talking about technique that's that's a valuable asset to have in your locker room. So I was maybe hopeful that the Chiefs saw the value in that and that Frank Clark saw the value in staying in Kansas City. But it's very clear that there are other motivating factors. The Chiefs have financial decisions to make and so does Frank Clark. Like it this was that's the important thing to remember here. This was a money decision from both sides. It's not just Frank Clark taking more money, right? It's the Chiefs saying we need we need we need to have money to spend as well, and this guy is the easiest way for us to put ourselves in a better financial situation. Does it make you at all nervous to be losing Frank Clark and most likely Orlando Brown Jr.? I know well, we talk about and Brett Veach we trust. He's got a plan, 
but are you the tiniest bit nervous by these moves? I can't. I can't say that I'm nervous. I do. You're losing like important players in important positions, right? These are not, this is not losing um, an inside linebacker. It's not losing your third cornerback or one of your safe. This is, you're talking about left tackle and edge rusher. These are important positions and they're positions that you don't have an immediate answer for. Like the, the toughest part for this Kayla is, I can't tell you how they're going to replace the snaps from either one of these guys yet. If Orlando Brown Jr. is playing in Cincinnati next year. Oh, please I, no. I don't know who's taking his snaps. <laughs> Frank Clark, you would figure like Carl Loftus was going to get a bigger role next year already. And yeah, you're going to go maybe draft an edge rusher with one of your top two picks. Or maybe you sign somebody in free agency. But Frank Clark had the postseason production. Right, it's not just a guy getting you through the regular season. You knew when the lights were brightest, this guy was going to show up and and give you big performances, and that's exactly what he did. So that's tough. Orlando Brown Jr. Like left tackles don't grow on trees, Kayla. I don't know where you get another starting left tackle. The part that gives me a little bit of peace of mind is that the Chiefs are staying consistent with their philosophy. We are not giving elite contracts to non-elite players. We are not going to pay you top five money if you're not going to give us top five performances. And with Frank Clark, that part was simple. You knew he wasn't coming back on the same deal. The real question became like, how, how much gas does Frank think he has in the tank and how much gas do the Chiefs think he has in the tank? If the Chiefs are saying, hey man, we're playing Karloftis as our as our number one defensive end next year, he's going to take you over and snap. So you're a, you're a rotational defensive end for us. We're not going to pay you starter money. And I'm sure Frank's sitting there saying, no, I can still be a starter in this league. I can still go be somebody's number one or number two. And I'm going to get paid like it. That part makes sense with Orlando Brown jr. That's the tricky part. Cause somebody will pay him. Somebody will give him the deal that he wants because teams are desperate. And I, I had somebody ask me this, Kayla, that when the Chiefs lost to the Bucs in the Super Bowl, it oh. was all about fixing the offensive line, mm-hmm. right? Do whatever you can. And the Chiefs gave up a first and a second to get Orlando Brown Jr. And so you kind of thought, well, you just did that two years ago. Why is your situation different now? Three reasons. You don't have that loss to Tampa Bay fresh in your mind. You got a Super Bowl out of it. Yeah. And in a different situation as a franchise, Patrick Mahomes is no longer on a rookie contract. Patrick Mahomes is taking up 18% of your salary cap. So that means you have to be much, much smarter and more selective with your financial decisions and the contracts that you hand out. You're not chasing anymore. You are a team that expects to compete for Super Bowls every single year, which means you don't have to pay this guy a boatload of money just because you think you need to protect your quarterback. Brett Veach and Andy Reid, they may not have an answer right now as to who's going to be their left tackle, but they're confident that they'll find one that is a wiser investment than giving Orlando Brown Jr. the contract that he wants right now. Or maybe, you know what? Like maybe Orlando Brown Jr. will go out there and nobody will offer him the contract that he wants and he'll say, you know what? Playing in Kansas City is not half bad. (laughs) Actually, I kind of like it here. Also, the visual of a left tackle growing out a tree is 
hilarious. A big tree. It'd be like one of those redwoods. <laughs> you know? Well, someone we will someone we will see back next season. Darius Tony, and according to Jesse Palmer of NFL Network, he says the Chiefs believe Tony will be their number one receiver next season. Does this surprise you if that is the case? So we we talked about this, I think it was after the Jaguars game. I don't know who it was during the oh, it was Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick on the ESPN broadcast. No, it was during the Raiders game, the last regular season game when he mm -hmm. said that. They think that Kadarius Tony can be a number one by the end of the year. And the end of the year, a month. Like we were in January when he said that. And I think we talked about it on the show, the idea that we, if, yeah. if Lewis Riddick is saying that, that means that he's talked to somebody, right? That means that somebody said that to him wanting it to get out. GMs play these games all the time, right? It's negotiating. It's trying to manufacture leverage to say, hey, hey, Juju, you want $20 million? We don't need to give you 20. And also, don't try to play hardball with us because we love the guys we already have. With or without you, we feel good. We feel like this guy can be the number one. Now, you don't say that unless there's some level of confidence in the guy. I think the Chiefs, based off the way they deployed him almost instantly, the fact that Kadarius Tony came in and on day one, was a bigger part of the offense than Sky Moore, who had been there since the summer, tells you that they think this guy has a special skill set. And we mm -hmm. saw it. He looks, I would say this, we always talk about production. And Juju has had really productive seasons. His second year in the league, he went over 1,000 yards. And you say, oh, that's the, those are the numbers of a number one receiver. But... When we talk about number one receivers, we're talking about specific skill sets, and really it's guys who can do everything. Juju's great, but he is an over-the-middle possession receiver who is going to gobble up yardage. He's like an innings eater in baseball. He's not your ace. He doesn't have six pitches in his arsenal, but he has two that he does really well, and he's going to be really effective on most nights. But Juju's not a guy beating you downfield for 60 yards. He's not going over the top making highlight plays. He's not making three guys miss on his way to the end zone. Those are what number one receivers do. That's what Jamar Chase does. That's what Justin Jefferson does. That's what Stephon Diggs and Devontae Adams do and Tyree Kill does. That'll never be Juju. I think the Chiefs are optimistic that eventually Kadarius can show you glimpses of that. Now, He'll, he'll never be on the level of those elite, elite players. But I feel like the Chiefs view his skill set as being more likely to be of that ilk than Juju is. So when they talk about him being their number one, I don't think it's to say that like, hey, we're not bringing Juju back. It's just that we think this guy has a, a higher ceiling as a football player than Juju. Who I mean, would you say that we kind of know who he is? Would yeah. you say like, in the next year, we kind of know what we're going to get if Juju's back in Kansas City. Yes, and not to play the compare game, but based on what Kadarius Tony can do, it feels like it gives you more glimpses of that like Tyreek Hill-esque receiver. Turn on the Jets, do crazy things. It just looks different. It yeah. just looks different, especially after the catch. Like That's the really exciting part with Kadarius is they didn't have him running a super complex route tree this season. He was only playing like 20 snaps a game. So he wasn't out there a ton because he didn't know the playbook. Mm -hmm. 
I'm guessing they're looking at that saying, okay, well, what if we get him for a full off season and he gets to work out with Pat all summer and he gets to study this playbook and then we can really use him the way that we want to. We can throw him all over the field. We can put him in advantageous situations. We can have him running go routes. We can have him work in the sidelines. We can have him working at the line of scrimmage. Like just doing the things that Andy Reid does. He he takes these pieces and like this chess wizard, he's moving them all over the board and constantly having you figure out how you're going to counterattack. Tony's a special, special athlete. There's a reason why he was drafted 21st overall just a season ago. And I think they feel like they got a number one pick. Like they feel like they got a first round pick from the Giants who just, for whatever reason, could not figure out how to use this dude. And I think that's exciting. Like if they're excited about a guy, I have no choice but to get a little excited. If they think this dude's going to be special, who am I to sit here and be like, I don't know. I don't quite <laughs> It's Kadarius Tony guy. Well, and especially now that we know that didn't Brett Veach want to draft him? Yeah. But so, the, I mean, the Chiefs just didn't, they weren't in a position to do it. They didn't, that was the year after they, they had drafted. Shoot, who did they draft in 2021? Oh, it was Nick Bolton. They didn't have that first round pick because they'd given it up for. Also a great pick. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he went he went 21st overall and the Chiefs first pick wasn't until pick 58. Okay. They uh, were in no position to to grab Tony. Got but they it. got him but then they get him a well, year we got later him now. for a conditional third round pick and a sixth round pick. That is highway robbery. When Brett Veach has an eye on someone and does anything to get them, I'm not going to doubt him <laughs> what they no. can do on the field. He knows something we don't. So just going to roll with it. And then, you know what? You know, what's so cool about it is Brett Veach is not a coach. He's not a play designer. He's not a play caller. The fact that he'll like, it takes a really special relationship, like an unspoken relationship really between a, a GM and a coach for him to look at a player and be like, wow, I love this guy's skill set. I would love to see how he fits in our offense. Isn't able to get a draft because you're positioned to. The next year, all of a sudden, you feel like he's available. You go out and you and you basically take the tape and you show it to your coach and you say, what do you think? And he's like, yep. You get the deal done and then you basically just hand him over to the coach who deploys him in a way that gets more out of him in half a season than the Giants were able to get out of him in a season and a half. That's, I mean, there, there's not many situations like that around the NFL where a GM sees the roster construction and then you hand him over to the coach who knows the perfect way to deploy him on the field. It's just, it's awesome to watch that stuff happen. I was sad about the Frank Clark stuff, but this stuff gets me excited. That's the thing. Like <laughs> you're right. Like nobody will ever take Frank Clark's spot. But what if I told you the trade-off is that two years from now, we're talking about Kadarius Tony being the super special player who has a great relationship with Patrick Mahomes. We'll always think about it in like these sort of waves. Like the first wave we'll we'll think of as the Mahomes sort of honeymoon, fresh into the league, greatest start ever. You've got the the 
high-flying offense with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and McCole Hardman and Sammy Watkins. And then all of a sudden you'll think about it as like this youth infusion and where they're taking everything underneath and there's no stars besides Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes on offense. Like wave three might be these guys like Kadarius Tony and who knows what's going to happen with Sky Moore sort of budding into like legit pros, which that could be a very fun chapter of this Mahomes era in Kansas City. Buckle up, Chiefs fans. We're in for a treat. Nick, will you do me a favor? Uh, it depends. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Um, will you tweet this episode out since I cannot? I will. I will tweet okay. this episode out. I feel I'm like people sorry. need to hear the history of American Girl Dolls along with, you know, the football stuff. Yeah. So you won't even be able to retweet it. So no. should I be tagging you? Does the person who hacked your account, will they retweet this if I tag them? Oh, so whoever hacked my account, I also think Twitter has control over it again because they changed my picture to some like crypto looking thing and they changed my name to Danny something. My name is back to normal, but my picture is gone, but I don't have I access. Am, I am finding a Kaneerum Kayla on <gasps> Twitter who has uh, zero followers and has never tweeted. So um, maybe I'll tag her as well and see I, if they're interested. In don't this. give her follows. I need them. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to send another email. Get on it. You can still tag me. I'll retweet it once I get access back, which is hopefully soon. I don't know how long this takes. They said expect days or weeks. So that's fun. Well, Godspeed. You know what? I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be sure to hit you, uh, shoot you a text. If anything else breaking that you need to know happens in the NFL. Thank you. Please do. No problem. All right. That's going to do it for us here on It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. He is Nick Schwartz. I am Kayla Kinnearm, and we will talk to you all again soon.